Hi, everyone. Welcome to the RM Podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Toole, and I hope that you are ready for an all-new lineup of experts who are itching to step out of the parameters of traditional recruitment and talent acquisition speak and get real on what it means to recruit on a worker economy and, quite frankly, an upside-down world. Let's dig in together. Speaking of real talk, in all of my years of recruiting, we have been focusing the conversation around hiring that all-star gold medalist person who checks all the boxes. And we can all agree that finding that purple squirrel has been hard. It takes time and a tremendous amount of skill. But here we are at the start of 2022. And I think we can all agree that we no longer have the luxury of time. And that that unicorn that we're searching for already has one foot out the door. So what do you do? Well, today I'm answering that question as I chat with Jerry Crispin on how to hire to grow, not go. Jerry, it is such a joy to have you in studio today. How are you? I'm wonderful. And Debbie, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Most of our listeners are probably familiar with your work over at Career Crossroads, um, and they know you as that thought leader in TA and recruiting, but many may not be as aware of the work that you put in to get here. Um, you started as a practitioner in HR at J&J. Um, would love for you to share a little bit with our listeners about how that work in the field doing HR at J&J kind of informed your later work that you're doing today. Well, there were, you know, there was a lot of things that not only myself, but literally everyone has that are kind of peak experiences. And uh, when I was in graduate school, so I have an undergraduate degree in engineering. So that's a little bit weird. And I uh, decided that um, I, I became enamored of what organizations look like as systems. So that engineering bent, you know, uh, extended to about six years of graduate school and to, and to um, make a living because they don't pay graduate students very much. Um, I, I was an instructor and whatever, but they paid me very little in those days. So I, so I got a job as um, the assistant director to career in, in career services at Stevens Institute of Technology, and became enamored of how people got jobs. I was fascinated because my role was to find uh, jobs or help students find jobs. And they and they did, but they they were making lousy decisions. And and then I was talking to alumni who were coming back who had lost their jobs, and I knew I was totally incompetent. So I started I started pushing hard to learn a great deal more about where this crossroads was between people who have to think about their their work in relation to what that looks like as a job, their job in relation to what that looks like as a career, and their career in the relation to their, their stage of life. And so my life has been around thinking about those aspects. And, and when I finally left academia, uh, I joined Johnson & Johnson, and I was a, a bit of a loose cannon right from the beginning. I did have a beard. The beard was more red than it is today as white. Um, But I was very naive and uh, did things like I I said, you know, I really appreciate the fact that I can join Johnson and Johnson in this kind of industrial organizational psychology role 
where I'm going to be doing some training and a bunch of other things. Well, and Jerry, I'm not surprised at all that from the very beginning you said, okay, like, how can we do things differently? How can we rethink things? And you've carried that on throughout your career. I was very fortunate. Obviously, you're very privileged in your early years if you have mentors, if you have people that are watching out for you, that have your back. And so when I talk to young people, I I say it's not how much money you're going to make in that first job. It's whether or not the person you're working for literally has your back, actually cares about you, is willing to go out of their way to help you do the best work that you can do. And have the most broad range of experiences at that stage in your career. And then and then it's all on you. You've got to decide whether you want to continue to roll uh, that way and take risks or, you know, do something more secure, et cetera. And at different stages in your life, you probably are going to have different motivations in terms of what you do at work or don't do at work. If you're if you have a family and you you know, have kids and et cetera, then you want more agility and accessibility to other things. And 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 corporations are beginning to recognize that more off more than they sh- they did in the past, you know, fundamentally. And and so we are seeing a shift in how work is being done, not only today, but in the future, in part because of the, the last couple of years of, of um, uh, pandemic and everything else that we've gone through. Yeah, I mean, we've had a shift really rapidly, but it's it's fascinating even listening to the start of your career to where we are today. Maybe we're not you know, shifting as rapidly as we think it's kind of been happening all along. Um, and, and Jerry, I'm really fascinated when I run into people in the space that kind of have multiple different view angles that they come at talent acquisition. You know, you've been on the practitioner side and then you made this switch 10 years in to say, hey, look, I'm going to go to the vendor side and I'm going to go work at an agency and I want to get a different kind of experience and I want to try something different. You know, I would love to get your perspective on why you made the move over to Shaker um, and, and how that continued to transform the way you look at recruiting. So I had an interesting opportunity. My my sister married this guy named Joe Shaker. I did not realize there was a marriage connection in here. When I left J&J and was finding that I was not happy, you know, in the corporate world, uh, his father, who was still running the company, told his son, who would then be the you know person running the company, why don't you hire him? <laughs> and so I, I joined Shaker Advertising and it was you know, a little bit of a shock going from a large company to a, a much smaller company in terms of the resources that you have. It was a shock to go from, you know, being someone who knew something about organizations and and recruiting from a different side and all of the other stuff in human resources and and being involved in sales. Sales is different. And people would say to me, like, Jerry, you know, you've been with Shaker now for a month. um, And I knew that you were a smart, sharp person in human resources. But I don't know if you you can do shit with with respect to, you know, advertising and all this other kind of stuff. So and, and you might not be there in six months. Why would I risk my money on you? Come back in a year. So the people that I was able to sell to tended to be people 
that um, I didn't know. I had I got an opportunity to go in and, and pitch them. They said, oh, you worked in human resources and recruiting for, you know, the last X number of years. And and uh, yeah, I'll give me, you a shot, you know, that kind of thing. I'll give yeah. you a shot because the idiot that I'm dealing with right now over in such and such an agency is not doing their job. So why not? You know, so I, I was getting those kinds of folks. The first uh, person to give me business is a what his name is Jerome Lede. He's now retired. He lives in Florida. I talk to him every um, couple months. And and actually, there's a group of us that have dinner on a, on a regular basis of which he's part of. I mean, it is this industry is small. It becomes a family. And yes. some of those early relationships, I think, for all of us, you know, tend to carry on. I love that you are still connecting with them. Um, and, and I love the relationship between the sale and, and your customer. I've been involved in, in recruitment in one form or another from career services on to today uh, for 52 years. So, you, you know, I mean, when you introduced me and said more than 40, you know, most people from a resume point of view will never say more than 25 because they don't <laughs> want to. You know. So I, I've doubled that, you know, in relation to it. But a lot of different kinds of things. There's very few things I have not done. I worked in executive search for, you know, six months. I did a, a number of different things. Very few jobs in recruiting and staffing that I have not um, experimented with, at least long enough to know that I don't want to do that again, you know, kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, and that and that is half of what a career is. It's not just finding out oh. what you do want to do, but also finding out what yes. you do not want to ever touch again with a 10 foot pole. I spent 10 years with uh, uh, Shaker. They just celebrated their 70th year, um, you know, in in uh, in business. And obviously they've had to pivot a number of different kinds of ways in order to be relevant to today. And they are. Yeah, and so that's fascinating. I left. Uh, Shaker in 99, when uh, the internet, um, you know, re was rearing its very ugly head, but I was loving it. And, um, and recruitment advertising, traditional recruitment advertising wasn't ready to pivot at that point in time. So I knew I had to go do something different and started writing books about the evolution of recruiting um and and what was available because there was no search in there was no google yeah you couldn't you couldn't just open up your computer and say where where are no. these people or where do i advertise where, where is a good where is a good job board no, where's abso monster absolutely you know? you're talking about you know 1999 when monster was blowing up i mean starting to on the verge right and right. i joined career builder in 2007 and that was still considered like the tipping point of digital advertising. I was still going in and educating people on why they should stop running a newspaper ad and put it online. So, you know, that was a good eight year difference between when you yeah. started Career Crossroads and... Well, I was, I was, I started Career Crossroads in 1996 and started writing books in 96. And my last book was 2003. So I was reviewing Career Builder at its earliest foundation, even its groups that were prior to that. Uh, but I would be talking about Career Mosaic and, you know, uh, a few of the other 
uh, OCC and a few of the others at, at those early the, stages. The hot jobs. People, and... were going, people were going crazy about, you know, what do I do? How do I even, you know, I, and they'd have to go buy a computer. How you could find a resume database and so on and so forth. That was, you know, those were obviously very early days and it was a lot of fun, but it gave us um, a real understanding of how things were shifting and changing. And, and I would write about what those possibilities were, but eventually folks like Glenn Guttmacher and a bunch of other characters were, who were really recruiting themselves um, were beginning to do, Shally Steckerel is another one who was really beginning to, to teach people how to do things. Um, and there's, many of them are still around. We are still as an yeah. industry, uh, continuing to educate ourselves. In fact, we started out at the very beginning that you're a, a lifelong learner and student of what is happening and the shifts that are happening. You know, you and I first got to connect um, a couple of years back. We were working on the ATAP report with Mary Grace and, um, and Tyler Weeks and Ellen Bailey and a couple of others as we were think, looking at this fact that we have had a lot of transformation. We have been digital now for 20 plus years, and yet we still have a big gap within recruiting on how to establish common language and how to track yeah. source effectiveness. And you've gotten to watch this be pieced together. Why do you think and how did this become so broken? And why is it so important for us to establish that common language? Part of it is context. Um, we, we don't, very few people have a, a sense of how uh, recruiting evolved. And it's it's really in a modern day point of view. It's evolved in over 100 years, you know, as, as the second industrial revolution began towards the late, latter part of uh, the 1800s into the early part of the 1900s. Um, we, we established, if you will, an approach to workflow that was, that we still are using, um, and using way too much, obviously. And it's taken, it's only now that we're really starting to rethink that workflow in a way that, uh, from a technology point of view can be supported. But, but if people aren't willing to do things differently, the technology is not going to follow. The technology helps you do what you know how to do, um, not not reinventing the way, the way you do it, all, even the, with all of the claims. It really isn't. It's it's really helping you to do what you think are the, the, the sequence of events that get you to engage people. And so I'm convinced that there's so much more that we need to do from a decision point of view that involves how we help candidates make better decisions about being found, about being selected, um, about the, you know, what they need to do with their with that offer and then what what they need to do as they engage a corporation and become part of that corporation and whether or not they're looking at it just as a job that puts food on the table or whether they're looking at it as a community that actually they make a difference in, you know, and there's a big gap between those two things, big, big gap. And, and I think that, that our society is shifting the attitudes of many workers toward 
especially as they get enough money that they're able to put food on the table. But at the same time, there are millions of people who are working, you know, week to week and barely able to still put food on the table and shelter for their children. So so we need to be able to understand the differences in in what's going on. And we need to try to influence our corporations to do things in ways that make us satisfied with what we do in our career. You know, we recently released a recruitment market idea book. Um, It's something that we do every year. And we ask industry leaders um, like yourself, kind of what do you think that the most powerful thing that people can do to make an impact on recruitment marketing will be in 2020? Um, And I would love for you to share with our audience some of the learnings that you passed along in the idea book. Yeah, I think all of them (laughs) over the last few years have to do, for the most part, with the kind of data that helps you, it helps you to be more empowered. So, for example, when we're, especially when we're talking about diversity, we we tend to have these um, standards that are set for us that basically say, oh, we want you to have a diverse slate. We want you to have... Uh, two women, you know, if 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 the underrepresentation is women in a technology, you don't want one in the final slate of five. You want two because if there was one, then that's seen more as a token. If you have two, it increases the likelihood and probability of whatever. So I get that, we all do, but that doesn't help the recruiter become empowered as an equal to the hiring manager that they're dealing with. I want the I want the recruiter to have the data that shows just how underrepresented a given opening is in a job family. And if for example there's 100, I don't know, engineers Uh, software engineers in this job and to be extreme, no women. And we know that women would represent, let's say, because we should have that data as well, that in this area, let's say it's Silicon Valley or something, that um, 15% of software engineers in Silicon Valley are women. And there's 100 engineers in my company and no women, that means there's 15 uh, possibilities uh, that, I mean, we should be at least 15 of them. So, so when I'm talking to this hiring manager, why am I talking about putting one woman on the slate or two women on the slate? That's bullshit. <laughs> well, it, it's, you, you should. You, yeah, you've got to be able to have the. I'm going I'm to find you, uh, you know, at least because how many opportunities do we have? How many people are going to turn over of those hundred? Let's say only five, only 5% will leave you and you're going to grow 5%. So there's going to be 105 at the end of next year. So that's 10, only 10 opportunities. If I filled every single job this year with a woman software engineer equal to all of those male software engineers, we'd still have less than 10%. Yeah, we're still not going to hit. We're not even at a representative level. So why am I not at least informed 
to a point where I can argue past, present, and future with my hiring manager, and and maybe there should be two, maybe there should be three, maybe there should, maybe I don't care because you already have 25% as women. I don't know, but let's, let's, let's let's get to the data data where we know what the, the actual available population is and be able to benchmark our hiring success across from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that goes in two different directions, Jerry, you know, I've seen a lot of tweets recently about requirements asked for on these job descriptions and requirements for skill sets like social media or a certain type of programming that hasn't even been around that long. And it's the same thing. We need to be empowered with the right data to go and say, okay, if you're looking for this type of expertise and you're looking in this age group or you're looking at somebody with this much experience, they can't have that much experience because social media hasn't been around that long or because this type of coding hasn't been. Um, And so I think we, you know, we do need to get to a place where as an industry, we've got the right data so that we can feel empowered to go to our hiring managers and say, let's revisit both the expectations of what we're asking for and the demographic of what we're going after and how do we reach our benchmarks in order to perform against it. And there's and there's one other thing. We have to get beyond talking about internal mobility. Yes. And start investing serious money in that. And that takes two silos. One is the talent acquisition side, and the other is the talent management side. And and fundamentally, we need to look at some of the critical skill areas and be able to say there are people who have an interest in and a capacity to grow within our organization, and we need to actually spend money helping them get to that level and then guaranteeing them the opportunity to move into that level and demonstrate they can do it. And and I will tell you that most companies are talking the talk at this point, which is good, but we need to get to that next level where we see some, (laughs) some real investment in that. Yeah. And, you know, well, we could spend a whole episode talking about this, Jerry, because I feel like we've actually gone backwards there. We've had companies have had all of these management training programs and investment, you know, this educational underpinning of their organizations when they had lifelong employees. And we've gone backwards from there. And now we're trying to, like, drudge it back up of, like, how do we invest in the individual? But we don't even have enough time to get on that. So we are going to do a little bit of a round robin to close us out. I'm going to ask you some quick questions. First thing that pops in your mind. And really, this is to pass along to our listeners where they can get resources to help them educate themselves. So what is the one book or podcast that you have listened to or read this past year that you would recommend our listeners go read or listen to? Oh, my God. Um, I even have a book club, so so I've I've gone through lots of books. But I would like uh, the point to be made from a book called Work Quake. Work Quake. Work Quake, and I can't remember uh, the name of the author because I'm getting too old. No worries, we will put um, it in the podcast notes. So if you are listening, work. Its main main point is. Um, is that people who come to you may not stay with you, and that's okay. Retention uh, isn't isn't a necessary and fundamental thing that you should be trying to to achieve. You want to have enough uh, retention in order to get the performance value, but over time, people people do move on to other things, and it's perfectly okay. All right, work quake. 
For those listening, go look at the podcast notes. We'll have it linked for you. Okay. Next question, Jerry, who is the one person that you think everyone should follow? Um, so whether that is Twitter or social oh media. Oh, Hung Lee. There we go. Hung Lee. All right. Hung Lee. <laughs> um, give Hung Lee a, a, a try. He basically is doing a weekly newsletter, uh, has a lot of curated content, um, and he's been uh, a high flyer this last year, or actually almost two years now. All right. In perfect. terms of creating, uh, creating, I think a a good level of curated content that people can can consume. Awesome. So we will also link that so you guys can all go subscribe. We have Julia Levy coming on for our next episode. What is the one question that you would pass along that we should ask her? What would she do different? What would she do different? That's a great question. So different in 2022, we will ask her that. And what is one cool piece of tech that you're excited for that you've seen kind of being talked about or passed around within the industry? Um, or that we should be doing? Well, anything anything that can suck more information out of LinkedIn and make it usable. Um, and almost all of them, I would never mention any of them because the moment I mention them, they're going to be, you know, banned or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but but uh, I want more from products like LinkedIn that have you know, uh, a lot of, obviously a lot of content. I understand why they don't want their data pulled and then reused. But on the other hand, from a recruiter point of view, you know, the last thing I want is to have to go from one dashboard to another dashboard to another dashboard. God bless. Uh, it's, it's what drives most recruiters absolutely nuts. And most recruiting leaders nuts is the lack of capability for full integration Agreed. And, um, yeah. and we need we need ways to capture data and and make good use of it at a low cost <laughs> agreed so linkedin if you are listening um <laughs> there are there are there are things that they have done um within some of the ats space that they could really expand to other platforms and to more more atss and make it to where it's just part and parcel of if you're a LinkedIn customer, you get this. I agree. Um, And in the meantime, there are vendors out there that can help you. Last, Jerry, where can people find you? How should people follow you, find you, get your content? If you can spell my name right with a G, G for Jerry, uh, and you can spell Crispin, C-R-I-S-P-I-N, you can Google me and you'll find me. (laughs) Um, Career Crossroads is uh, either careercrossroads.com and it's careerxroads.com or cxr.works. Um, get you to my, you know, get you basically to my website. There's a lot of content there for my members, but there's also a lot of content that is free and usable by anybody who wants to look at it. Um, so we have, and, you know, folks who have been members but aren't currently we still have maybe a thousand alumni that can talk to each other and engage. So I'm a platform for peers and colleagues to talk with one another in a trusted environment. And that's essentially uh, where I get my satisfaction. Awesome, Jerry. Thank you again for joining us today. As always, it has been a pleasure. 
Thank you everyone for listening this season. You can expect us to release a new episode every other Tuesday. That means our next episode with Julia Levy will be released on January 25th. We will make sure to ask her what she'll do differently next year. Um, So go subscribe to this podcast or whatever platform you're listening to it today so that you don't miss a moment. And while you are there, we would love to get your feedback. So rate, review, so that we can continue to improve these episodes. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you.